0: Please open your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5. And when you find that, please stand with me to read God's Word. We're going to read today Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 through 26. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, is is talking about personal relationships, anger in particular, and today how to deal with anger and the fallout that results. Matthew chapter 5 beginning at verse 23. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar, and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer, and that you be thrown into prison. Truly, I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you speak to us in and through your word. We thank you, Lord, that you do a work in us through your word. And Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes today. You would open our hearts to you to what you have for us. Lord, we pray that you would help us to lay aside all the distractions that we may have uh, brought in to this place with us today. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to lay them all at your feet and truly, truly worship you today. And we commit ourselves to you and this time. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I will tell you what, the guys really outdid themselves this time. Not only is there an Angels game, a Dodgers game, the Players Cup, the Ducks, but there's also a Lakers game. All for the moms. <laughs> it's all about the moms today. It's all about the moms. Actually, our gift to moms today from Grace Church of Orange, besides the flowers we'll give you at the end of the service. Is that we didn't have you get up at 6.30 this morning and bring your kids to practice a choir song for you. (laughs) Now my gift to moms, personally, is that I did not prepare a sermon aimed specifically at moms. This is for all of us today. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 23 through 26 has to do with the need for reconciliation. For two parties who are at odds with one another To come together in a peaceful relationship. Now we all know what happens without it. An unwillingness to reconcile really messes things up. We've even coined a phrase, irreconcilable differences, to get around uh, this issue in our marriages. And we've applied it pretty much to almost every other relationship. Parent, child, uh, friends and neighbors and enemies, you name it. We get around this idea of reconciliation by saying we have irreconcilable differences. Most of us want peace as long as we don't have to admit we're wrong. But that's not the kind of mindset that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Before their very eyes, he was deconstructing people's before Jesus' view of things. So that they could freely buy into his kingdom. Everyone has this lens through which they view the world, a worldview. Most have a combo of biblical and non-biblical ideas that are mixed in. But the Jewish worldview was a doozy. The Jewish worldview included thinking that if you did certain things, God was obligated to make life good for you. It included believing that birth defects, chronic diseases, and barren wombs were all a consequence of someone's sin. They had a social consciousness that valued status and re- reciprocal relationships, reciprocity, higher than character and humility. They also had an extreme cultural prejudice, racial prejudice, towards Gentiles' and samaritans to top it all off they thought it didn't matter what was in your heart as long as you did what God's word said but Jesus countered that by teaching that change must come from the inside out that outward conformity means nothing without inward transformation being comes before doing It's out of the heart that evil flows. And we have been in the Sermon on the Mount for a while now. And and the basic gist of the Sermon on the Mount is that Christ's followers are different. They are to be different. You see that in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 verses 3 through 12. They are to be different and they are to be influential in the world for Jesus. uh, Being salt and light. And it is all based upon what God has said in his word. But the Jews had last touched with the word of God. They gave more credence to the Talmud, a collection of sayings of rabbis, most of which had originated from scripture, but they had elevated a secondary source above God's word. They relied on tradition and misinterpreted scripture. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 48, there are six sections where Jesus basically takes Twisted scripture and straightens it out for the people each with a variation of jesus's words you have heard But I say to you You have heard it said you've been told you've been taught It's ingrained in your thinking But emphatically he says I say to you authoritatively he says I say to you He deals with murder he deals with anger sexual sin divorce speaking truth, retaliation, loving others. He hits all the bases. And Jesus points out the difference between what Jesus, what people had been taught and what God's word actually said and actually meant. He's clearing things up. So in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22, we see that Jesus addressed the serious issue of anger, the dangerous nature of, of our anger, and he said that you have heard that you shall not commit murder, which was true, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court, half-truth, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty, anger equated to murder in Jesus' eyes. He's making the point that anger is dangerous and destructive, both to our relationship with God and to other people. Anger messes things up. Anger involves a desire to hurt another person in some way, to damage or to destroy their character or their identity. Uncontrolled anger and unresolved issues equate to unreconciled relationships that hinder fellowship with God and hinder fellowship with other people. Proverbs 29, says, An angry man stirs up strife. Uh, an angry, hot-tempered man abounds in transgression. James 1:20 reminds us that we are to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to get angry, because the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. You can't get there from here. Anger is murder in God's sight. And the reality is this, that anger, unresolved, creates divisions. It creates divisions that must be removed if we are to function, function appropriately in life. So Jesus gives two very practical applications dealing with the seriousness of anger in Matthew five twenty three through 26. Now, one of the applications is taken uh, from going to the temple to offer a sacrifice. The other is taken from going to court to answer the charges of, a, of an accuser. And so you've got these two illustrations. The first one, you see it in Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Now, it deals with issues between friends. Verse 23, therefore. Now, I used to take these verses as somewhat disjointed, disconnected from everything in the context, and that's not the way it is. It is completely in context with the idea of anger. And he says, therefore, based upon what has already been said, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, what are you to do in that kind of situation? What do you to do? How are you to respond to that? I'll tell you how we respond. We want to try and forget it. We want to let it pass. We want to um, explain it away. But Jesus... Gives rational, godly, very difficult directions. Because in verse twenty four he says, Here's what you do, leave your offering there at the altar, go. First be reconciled to your brother, and, and then come and present your offering to God. What he is saying is that worship is not accepted until reconciliation is achieved. That reconciliation precedes worship. It's important. Every Jew knew that sin caused a break in one's relationship with God. And that as a result, what you do is you you give a sacrifice and an offering which was required to restore the relationship. Now Jesus spoke in the cultural context of his day. When the temple was still in operation and sacrifices were still being made on a daily basis, the altar, he says, leave your gift at the altar. It's not the same as you know us putting money in the offering bag. It's not the same, um, but it is similarities. But the altar is the one in the inner court of the temple. Uh, It was a solemn place of worship, as near a Jew could get to the holiest place. And the worshiper did not make his own sacrifice. He brought it to the priest, who offered it on his behalf. So the worshiper would enter the temple, and go through a series of courts. He would pass through a series of courts, the the court of the Gentiles, and and then the court of the women, and the, the court of the men. Beyond those lay the court of the priests, where... Uh, others could not go. And he would bring an animal for a sacrifice. This probably pictures the, the idea of even uh, the Day of Atonement. But the, the animal was there in his arms, uh, or, or he was leading it along, depending upon how big it was. And, and uh, as the animal was about to be sacrificed, the, the worshiper would place his hands on top of the animal's head. And press down as if to transfer uh, his own guilt to it. And say something like this. Lord, I have sinned. Lord, I have rebelled. And he would confess specific sins. And then he he would say, Lord, I repent. I return to you. Let this be for my covering. Let this animal that is about to die whose blood is about to be spilled, let this be for my covering. Let this be for forgiveness for me. Now the worshiper stood at the rail, ready to hand over his victim to the priest. And Jesus says, if you're even that far, and you remember, something comes to your mind, and you remember something, don't, Hand the animal over to the priest. Leave it there. Tie it to the rail. Do whatever you need to do. And get out of there. And go all the way back out. And go find your brother. And go make things right. If the sacrifice is going to make any difference. You have to go back and mend the relationship. Or nothing could happen. Jesus' point is really clear. To be right with God, we have to be right with others. You can't have it any other way. To be right with God, we must be right with others. If we are not right with others, we are not right with God. Now this was not a new thought to the Jews. This was not some new idea that was exploding their universe. (laughs) This, this, was, this was supposed to be the way it would, was all the time. For any sacrifice to be ba- valid, there had to be confession, there had to be repentance. This is how God intended it to be. This is what the Old Testament taught. Look with me at Isaiah chapter 1. Over and over again throughout the years, God was angry with His people. God was displeased with them because They kept focusing on what they did outwardly to the exclusion of the condition of their hearts inwardly. In Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 11, God asked them a question. What are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat fat of fed cattle and I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. When you come To appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the solemn assembly. The two don't go together. He says in verse 16, wash yourselves. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. He goes on to say, we're going to reason together. And your sins, they were like scarlet. They shall be as white as snow. Looking forward to the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Isaiah 66, verse 18 says, If I regard sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear. If I if I regard if I let sin dwell in my life and do nothing about it, God's not going to hear my prayers. You wonder why your prayers seem to fall on deaf ears? First Samuel 15:22, "Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams." See, it's like us coming to church to worship, or or trying to pray, or read our Bible, and we remember something we did to offend someone. They're injured, they're, they're hurt in some way because of our words or our actions. They're angry with us for cause. You realize this is a situation where we have done something wrong, Jesus is assuming guilt on behalf of the person that he is referring to. Your brother has something against you for good reason. So we must go and make things right or things aren't right with us and God. It's like 1 Peter 3, 7 says, uh, Husbands, concerning your relationship with your wives, deal, deal correctly and appropriately with your wives so that your prayers will not be hindered. You can't pray unless things are right. Think about worship with me for a moment. Worship. It's so easy for us to think that we're going to come and get something here. I want to come and hear some good music. I want to hear a good message. I want to go home and eat a good lunch. I'm just speaking for myself. No, worship is an offering. It is not something where we come to get. We come to give to God who is worthy of all honor and all glory and all praise. Praise. Worship is an offering. You have come today, and God wants an offering from you. That's what we come here to do each Sunday. But our worship is not enhanced by how beautiful the room is, or how great the music sounded, or how wonderful the singing was. Do you realize that our worship is enhanced by the health of our relationships? Can you make the connection? Our worship is enhanced by how healthy our relationships are. Here, amongst one another, and out there, amongst everyone else we're around as well. You may wonder why your prayers don't seem to go through. Could it be that you have some unfinished business to attend to today? If you are letting unhealthy issues linger, then what you are doing here is fake fake, false. You're hurting the body. If you are allowing unhealthy relationships to just stay the way they are, you're hurting the body of Christ. You're hindering worship. This is not real for you. First go. By the way, some people need to leave church and not come back they've made things right first go be reconciled then then come and worship God so that's the first illustration second illustration is about issues between enemies the first was about issues between friends now let's deal with our enemies Jesus says in verses 25 and 26 Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you be thrown into prison. They had a thing kind of like citizen's arrest back then when the other would grab the person by around the cloak right near the throat tightly and lead them to the magistrate make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way do it now before it's too late because what's going to happen you're going to get handed over to the judge the judge is going to take you over to the officer and you're going to get thrown in prison and jesus by the way in verse 26 says amen truly i say to you you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent that's how it was in those days If you were a debtor, you would get put into jail and you would not come out until the last penny was paid. And by the way, the last cent was minutes, minutes worth of of salary in those days. Minutes worth of wage. Not even the last cent would would be taken off your account until it was all paid. Jesus is insisting on immediate action. Immediate action. The point here is that we must deal with anger quickly. We must deal with the issues that, it, uh, um, that it, it, uh, it generates right away because anger undealt with is destructive and it hinders relationships with God and other people. Say you have an unpaid debt. Not uncommon in an our, in our atmosphere in which we live right now. Say you have an unpaid debt and your creditor is about to take you to court to get you to pay. What do you do? Pay the debt. Make arrangements. Don't let it go to court. Settle out of court. Come to terms before that. Otherwise, you will be held liable. Payment before prison uh, is much wiser. Now, these two illustrations are different. They are different, but they are very similar because they make the same point. Again, one is from church. One is from the court of law. One concerns a friend. One concerns an enemy. But both cases are the same in that, that someone has something against us. Not a false accusation, a valid claim. And we've wronged someone. And they have a grievance against us. It's significant, by the way, that Jesus applies It In this way, that someone is angry with us, it is so easy for us to just think of the ones we are angry with, is it not? But Jesus wants us to be thinking in the other's shoes. Let's say they're angry with you for good reason. What do you do then? The basic idea is that immediate, urgent action is called for. And even if we remember in the very act of worship, You've gone to all the trouble of getting ready. You've gone all the trouble of driving all the way there or here. And you remember, you know. By the way, everyone who gets up right now, they might just need to go to the restroom. Okay? So don't be thinking, hmm, hmm. How little do we believe and obey God's word on this matter? How little do we believe and obey God's call for immediate action? It was probably because I was sharing this passage of Scripture with my class at Talbot on Tuesday night. and It was very much on my mind. And uh, as I was saying to them, you need to make things right. To my students, God put something into my head. I remembered something. From 23 years ago. Hadn't thought of it in I don't know how long. I could not get it out of my head. I'm trying to teach. I'm trying to speak. And I could not shake it. So I said, you know what? Uh, you, need to hold, you need to hold tight for a little while. I'm going to go upstairs right now. It happened to be, and this is weird. It happened to be 23 years ago. While in the same classroom I now teach a class that I took in that very room and something I needed to go make right with a professor who, by the way, happens to still teach there. It was, his first, it was his first class he ever taught there. So I ran upstairs, and I hadn't talked to this person in 23 years pretty much. They didn't remember the situation I brought up, but I needed to come clean. I needed to come clean about my attitude and about my actions as it related to a project that was due in that class we'll leave it at that ask me later it's a long story how little do we believe and obey God in his call for immediate action a more opportune time usually never comes if we don't deal with it quickly the consequences might just get worse why why do we need to do this malicious anger is so evil and God's judgment so certain that we must do all we can to end it. That's what Jesus is saying. If there is something blocking your relationship with someone, don't ignore it. I know this is uncomfortable. But go and do what it will take for the blockage to be removed. It only gets worse if you deny it. God cares about relationships. God cares about You, God cares about the other person. James tells us that if we curse another person, we can't bless God. Some people say they believe the Bible and live in total disregard of what it says. They pick and choose. We pick and choose what we're going to go with. That's worse than saying you don't believe it, by the way. At least there's some consistency in that. we love to be smugly right don't we if they could just get their act together if only they would change what's their problem we always think it's someone else's fault interesting uh, in, in Matthew 5 verse 21 and 22 Jesus began by quoting the sixth commandment dealing with murder he speaks emphatically authoritatively I say to you And he raises not only the issue of anger, but of insult and accusations as well, making the point that our attitudes and our actions are linked, and that a violation of human dignity on this level is subject to the same penalty as murder in God's sight, and it's stated so severely to show it's so serious, and whether we say it's nothing, God says it's something Contempt for others and disrespect are dangerous expressions of a desire to do away with someone, to be rid of them. And then moving on into our passage for today in in, in Matthew 5, 23 through 26, Jesus gives us the solution of what to do. We're always praying, Lord, what should you what, what do you want me to do? Lord, what's your will for my life? Well, here's one right here. It's so clear in Scripture we want to find something else. Instead of going right where God has us looking, and we are, by the way, accountable to the word of God, we have heard these words, and now our conscience is bound to the word of God, by the word of God. This is huge. Seek reconciliation even before you worship God. Worship is priority one, is it not? Our first stated purpose as a church is to worship God, rightly so. But reconciliation is so important to God that worship is to be put on hold until things are set straight. Worship is to be put on hold until reconciliation is achieved because true worship takes place when all is right between us and others. What we see in this is how relational the law really was, how important relationships are to God, and how it's linked to the quality of our worship. See, both illustrations make the point that that our relationship with God is connected to our relationship with others. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, in verse 8, it's all in the example of living in a way that pleases God. If we're going to follow Jesus and follow him closely and follow him fully, we've got to take these words to heart. 1 Peter 3, 8 says, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. And then there's a quote here of Psalm 34. The one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit or guile. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord God is watching. But the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. See, relationships are so important to God, and our relationship with God is so connected to relationships that if we don't do these things, then God's eye won't be toward us, and his ear won't attend to our prayer. It says, The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Bottom line. Jesus is saying that if anger and insults and accusations and broken relationships that often result are so serious, we must avoid them like the plague and do any, everything we can to act quickly to make things right again. If we're going to follow Jesus fully, we have to acknowledge this and align ourselves with these truths. That's the way it is. We know it's pretty clear we're to seek reconciliation when it's needed, but how do we do it? How do we do it? Some of you have realized early on this morning that you did not do that before you came here. And you're kind of frozen to your seat. I realize that. And no one's going to force you to do anything. God God needs to work in your heart for what he wants you to do. We know what he wants you to do. But many of you uh, realized earlier on, several minutes ago probably, that you did not do that before you came here. Maybe it was something that happened this very morning. Maybe it was something that happened 15 years ago. So let's just say this. Let's say you and your spouse are at odds. Maybe it's been like that for a long time. Maybe it just happened today. But let's say you and your spouse are at odds. What do you do? Or maybe it's you and your kids. It's Mother's Day today. But maybe you and your kids are are just not tracking. Look, every personality doesn't fit perfectly together, does it? Maybe it's you and your kids or... Or you and a neighbor, or you and a friend, or you and an enemy, I don't know. But whatever the case, happy is the person that lives with absolutely no unreconciled relationships in in his or her life. Blessed is that person. Sadly, though, even in the church, it's the exception when God wants it to be the norm. It's one more thing that shows us how much we need Jesus, how much we need his grace, how much we need his mercy. How much we need his strength and wisdom to do what God calls us to do, even when it's difficult, even when it's uncomfortable. How do you make things right? The way to make things right, let's talk about that for a while. It's not easy. What does it take? The first thing is, what it takes is we must be committed to pursue peace. We must be committed to pursue peace. That you decide before you get into the situation that you will pursue peace. That you will be a peacemaker, as Jesus says in Matthew five nine. Blessed are the peacemakers. 1 Thessalonians five thirteen. Live in peace with one another. Hebrews twelve fourteen. Pursue peace with all men. There it is. Romans fourteen nineteen. Let us pursue the things that make for peace. And the building up of one another. Let's do that. 2 Timothy 2.22. Pursue peace. Matthew 22. Speaks of loving God and, and loving your neighbor. Relationships are important to God. A humble heart, a humble person pursues peace. Because it knows that only God can make peace. So they look dependently to him to do that. And help them do that. Instead of offering defensive words of anger, God wants us to Settle disputes quickly. How about if the issues aren't present? What do you do to, to prevent them from arising? Is there anything preventative, any preventative measures we can take? There are. We can keep short accounts. The moment we're we're conscious of sin, we confess it to God and to anyone we may have hurt. Keeping short accounts not letting things linger and build and resentment and, and hatred fester. We can practice a life of repentance. We can guard our heart. Watch over your heart with all diligence for from it flow the issues of life, the springs of life. We want a tender heart, not a hard heart. You don't get a hard heart overnight. It builds up over time. So first, we must be willing to pursue peace. Pursue it. Not just fall into it. Not just wait for the other person to do it. But pursue it. Actively. Intentionally. Second thing. Is we must be willing to yield. Not only to God, but to other people as well. Ooh, 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 I know that hurts. I know it hurts. Oh, sure, God, come on, that's an easy one. But them? Them? Hmm. Job twenty two, twenty-one, yield now and be at peace with him. Be at peace with God. Yield, yield to God. Well, to God, yes, but not to the person that makes me so angry. Come on. Come on. Second Timothy two twenty four the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, literally willing to yield. A humble heart is willing to yield because it knows that it is not the center of the universe. The prideful heart says, let them come to me. I'm here if they want to reconcile. The willing heart seeks the other's good. Chases after it. That's what we know we must do. We don't always do it. But we are accountable to the word of God now, as I mentioned before. We have heard it. Not the first time we've heard these words. and God has clearly spoken, and now the ball is in our court. These Jesus did not mince words in the Sermon on the Mount. And you think, man, I don't want to read any more Sermon on the Mount. So you go over to James. It <laughs> doesn't get any better because Jesus and his brother, I tell you, Jesus affected James' his life, changed his life, and James sounds awfully like the Sermon on the Mount. Third thing we must be willing to do is follow Jesus' lead. Follow Jesus' lead. Philippians chapter 2, well known, familiar, uncomfortable. Philippians 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Stop right there. Do nothing? Yes. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others, especially when you've hurt them, and they're angry at you, and they're angry at you with cause. Have this attitude, verse 5, in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, God incarnate, the sinless Son of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of men being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross the most humiliating kind of death there was for this reason also god highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of jesus every knee will bow and those in heaven and on earth and under the earth and and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We must be willing to follow Jesus' lead, considering others as more important than ourselves, like the sinless Son of God who laid aside his privileges and became a servant for our salvation. A servant for our salvation. If you're willing You need to humble yourself before God. Be willing to do what it takes. Humble yourself before God and others and be willing to do what it takes. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross. Most of us give up long before that, before God wants us to. We give up on other people long before he wants us to. See, I tried. They wouldn't play ball. Wait, how many many times did you try if your heart is hard towards someone ask God to soften it you think he will do that if you are unwilling to reconcile or even try maybe ask God to make you willing if someone else refuses to reconcile ask God to change their heart you think he could change their heart too if you've tried and you failed and again they won't play ball Maybe ask God to give you wisdom and endurance to try again. God can fix what sin has broken. Do you believe? God can fix. He is in the business of restoration. He is in the business of reconciliation. Humble yourself, be willing to do what it takes, and give in. Just give in, surrender your will to God. Pride says you should not go and humble yourself before the other person. Pride says you do not need to stoop to their level. Pride says do not go to make up with someone who has hurt you. Pride says get even. Pride says make them hurt like they made you hurt. Jesus laid down his life for a sinful man. Surrender your will to God. And lastly, obey God. Obey him. Act for good on their behalf. Whether it's the person who you hurt and who was angry with you for cause or whether it's the person that hurt you. Act for good on their behalf. There's a story of two brothers who lived next to one another on two properties, on adjoining properties, and and one day they got into this argument, and neither would make up. So hatred ensued. They parted ways, and they lived next door to each other, but they had absolutely no contact with each other. Wouldn't even look in the other direction. They did not speak. They did not call. They would not acknowledge the other. They lived in silent anger, just building and building, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. One day a carpenter came to uh, the door of one of the brothers, knocked on the door and, and asked him if there was any work for him to do. So the brother took the carpenter outside and, and he showed him the creek that his, the brother had made right down the middle of their properties. He said, I am sure he did this to make me angry. And so he said to the carpenter, I want you to build a wall so that I will not have to look at his property ever again. So the carpenter worked hard all day. He built and he built. And, but when he was done, there was not a wall, but a bridge going over the creek. The other brother saw it and his heart softened towards his brother, thinking, wow, he would do a thing like that for me. Amazed that he would do such a thing. And the two met in the middle and embraced. Are you building walls or are you building bridges? Which one are you doing? You can't do both at the same time. And you may feel like you have done everything you could But how far have you gone to make peace? How far have you gone? Those who are of the God of peace will reflect the character of the Prince of Peace. Jesus acted for good on our behalf so that we could come to Him. Jesus acted for good on our behalf paying the entire penalty that we deserve the way of Jesus is the highway of the one who allowed himself to be killed by his own creation for the sake of reconciliation who built a bridge with the cross that makes it possible for us to come to him praise God one last application And this has to do with your eternal destiny. If you have never been reconciled to God, you are in danger of a penalty far greater than living unreconciled with your neighbor. See, reconciliation with God precedes worship of God. Romans chapter 5. God has provided a way to keep you from the ultimate consequence of your sin. Dying on a cross, Jesus Christ being then buried and then risen and now coming again. And if you don't avail yourself to this cure, you will suffer eternal separation from Him forever, forever, ever, 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 eternal. Romans 5. Speaking of those who have faith in Christ, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That came about by the finished work of Christ on the cross. Verse 6 tells us that while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 10 tells us that if while we were enemies, Our antagonism against God was very fierce. Our enmity toward him was very strong. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And if you have never experienced that life, you can be saved by that life today, right this very moment. Do what is right. God will be glorified. Is there something you need to take care of today? Does Jesus have some bridge to build in your life today? Let's pray. Lord God, we, we, we love you. Lord, we thank you for speaking to us in your word. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't leave us all by ourselves. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't leave us with no direction. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't leave us without provision. And Lord, thank you, Jesus, that you, have, that you died on the cross for us, that you were buried, that you ro- rose again, that you are coming again. We, we who believe want to believe to the point that we live different. Lord, for those who don't believe, I pray, Lord, that they would come to you today and be saved. We pray in Jesus' name.